Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people, loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Just challenge you, encourage you to continue to um, financially give to the Lord and to this ministry through uh, the joy boxes at the exits or uh, on wapaknaz.org backslash give. And we often thank you for mowing the lawn and cleaning toilets and vacuuming and and all those other things. But uh, I just want to say thank you for for giving. Um, I know it is a sacrifice. I know it is a step of faith. And I just want to say thank you very, very much. So, well, we continue today um, to raise the bar. Next week, um, I will not be here, and nor will Matthew be here, so I I want to actually introduce you to the young lady who is is going to be here, and you're not going to want to miss her. So, hopefully it works. And go. Good morning, Wapaknez. My name is Bethany Chapman. I am the newest missionary up in Toledo with Co-Mission Toledo, and I'm also going to be your guest speaker next week. So I just wanted to take a quick second to introduce myself. Like I said, my name is Bethany, and your pastors, while they're out of town next week, have asked me to come in and be this guest speaker for you guys. So I'm just super excited to get to spend this week with you. I've been hearing a little bit about you guys as a congregation and as a church, and then a little bit about your series that you've been going through. First of all, you guys sound like an awesome church. Um, I wish you weren't so far away. I could come visit more often. Um, But this Raise the Bar series that you guys are in, I'm really excited to get to be a part of this because it's so true. God always is calling us to go to that next level to raise the bar. And so I'm just excited to get to share with you a little bit about who I am, how God's called me to raise the bar in my life, and then to share a little bit with you about Commission Toledo and how possibly we can partner together to continue to raise the bar in all of our lives and in our missions organization. So I'm really looking forward to being with you next week. Um, I'll be praying for you guys over this coming week, and I um, hope that you'll be praying for me as well as I prepare this message and and prepare to share what God has laid on my heart. I'll see you guys soon. Have a great week. So that's Bethany Chapman. And uh, for for many of you, many of you are actually quite new to Wapak Mavs. And so um, Bethany Chapman, as she mentioned, she's from Commission Toledo. And and we have a history with Commission Toledo. Commission Toledo was planted out of the Church of the Nazarene, out of our district. Um, Jacob Hawes was the pastor at Hope Community, and he just had this sense that he needed to plant um, Commission Toledo in the inner city of Toledo because people were leaving the inner city of Toledo. The church was leaving the inner city of Toledo. And so uh, several years ago, he started this movement of Commission Toledo, and we... Uh, our, our memory sometimes fades, but I just want to remind you, we've partnered with Jacob and Commission Toledo several times, both financially by providing him um, opportunity to speak here, but also we partnered with him so that we could provide a whole month's salary for Jacob and his wife so they can continue to do what they do. We've actually sent people up to Commission Toledo um, to serve in, in, at the Believe Center, uh, where the Believe Center is a rec center. And as a result of that day, they actually planted a church in the Belief Center. And so this is expanding. And Bethany Chapman actually was a part of Hope Community as well. Or uh, a previous, uh, uh, she was a youth pastor in another church. And she moved into Commission Toledo. And now she's a missionary. Yeah, I know. Americans, missionaries in our own cities. Yes, that is a thing. It happens. And so she is a missionary there, and I got to meet with, with staff from Commission Toledo um, over the last several years. I've actually been a part of their board at Commission Toledo, and so I'm really excited that she's able to be here. And uh, we have a history, and we continue to support Commission Toledo. And uh, my hope is that this summer, this year, I should say, this year, we're able to send a team up to 
Commission Toledo for a couple days just to love on the community, to put our backs to work, and to work side by side with those that are really in the trenches in, 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 in Toledo. So um, that is next, next Sunday, and really looking forward to that. And so please, don't miss this. She's dynamic, and she's got a dynamic story, and uh, she is excited and ready to share that along with the gospel. So... We've been a part of this Raise the Bar series the last several weeks. We continue it today, next week, and it'll wrap up at the end of the month. And so, as a pastor, well, I don't know, as a youth leader, as in ministry, I have always wanted one spiritual gift. And actually, I think a lot of other people have wanted me to have that too. But the more and more and more and more that I pray for it, I realize it's not even a spiritual gift. And God's not going to give it to me. It's mind reading. I've never been able to read minds. Have you? I mean, it's spouses, husbands, wives. Wives really want you, men, to read their mind. Sometimes my wife does. It's like the constant mad about you episodes. You should already know what I'm thinking. Well, what did I do? I don't know. You should know it. I'm not going to tell you. I've always wanted the ability to mind read, especially it would work right here in the church very, very well, but I've never had that ability. And the fact is, I'm pretty sure no one in this room has that ability. If you do, I'm really curious. Let's talk after service. But unfortunately, none of us have that ability. None of us have that skill. And sometimes it catches up with us, right? Let me ask you a question. How do you conflict? Do you conflict well? If there is conflict in your life with another individual, do you have healthy conflict? No matter if you are the offender, the offended, no matter the degree of offense or the intensity of pain, hurt, anger, frustration, no matter if it was unknowingly or knowingly done, directly or indirectly, how do you conflict? How do you deal with it? Or do you go into passive-aggressive mode where you push it all down and then every now and then it'll come up when you least expected through a sharp tongue, a cold shoulder, uh, a negative comment, uh, silent treatment. Maybe you avoid and you ignore. You know the conflict's there and you just go the other way. Or maybe you're the cutthroat aggressive Cobra Kai, no mercy kind of person when it comes to conflict and you really show no mercy maybe you explode face to face with the individual or you explode publicly on social media and just let them have it how do you conflict do you blame do you guilt do you shame do you feel like you should take all the responsibility? Do you take it on your shoulders? How do you conflict? Do you conflict well? Do you just ghost the people and write them out of their out of your life without them even knowing what happened? Have you been on the other side of those things? Sometimes we would think in the church, we conflict well. The fact is, over the course of the 24 years that I've been in church, whether as a youth leader or a pastor or in some other capacity, conflict is the same in the church as it is outside of the church. We would hope it would be different. But I've had conversations over the course of my 24 years 
And some of those conversations have ended with, I love you very much, but I'm not going to be enough for you. And I wish I would have said, I can't read your mind, but I, you know. We often will, for the sake of unity, for the sake of peace, for the sake of the mission, we will forsake the hard conversations. We will forsake conflict. We don't have the conversation, the hard conversation. Do you conflict well? Whether it be within the church or out of the church, with your family, with your friends, do you conflict well? That's our question today. We're going to raise the bar in our relationships, specifically focusing in on conflict. Now, I'm not talking conflict resolution because, in my opinion, that's a misnomer. That There's an assumption with conflict resolution that there will be a resolution. But the fact is, not all conflict has resolution. And we cannot walk into, as a party in conflict, believing that there will be a resolution that all parties are satisfied with. In fact, Jesus himself told of a parable. He had three parables. In fact, there was a group, a mixed group, of tax collectors and sinners on one side, Pharisees and teachers of the law on the other side. And he went in and started to tell three parables. And parables are these untrue made-up stories about the truths of the kingdom of God revealing the heart of humanity, revealing our heart. And the first was the parable of the lost sheep. And then it was the parable of the lost coin. And then, when he had their attention, it was flipped, the script. Now it was the parable, what we call the prodigal son, but it was actually the parable of the wasteful son, the lost son. And the lost son, as many of you may know, he was the younger son, wanted to pretend dad was dead, wanted his inheritance, and his dad liquidated a portion of his estate and gave it to the younger son. And then he went off to a foreign land and wasted and squandered it on sinless or sinful and fruitless living. And in the middle of the pig pen, looking around, destitute, lonely, lost, hungry, wanting what the pigs were eating that he was feeding, comes to his senses and says, I'm going back to dad, and I'm going to become a hired hand. Now remember, Jesus is masterfully weaving this story right before them. May have told this before. But he's weaving this story. And the son comes to his senses and he goes back home. And on his way home, he practices a speech. And when he gets home, he finds that his father has been waiting and watching. And now his father is running toward him and wraps himself all around him, graces his son, the wasteful son, the smelly son. Because I'm pretty sure he didn't shower. Then he calls his servants and says, get the robe, get the sandals, get the ring, all symbols of the family, by the way. And then he says, get the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate. See, God is a God of celebration. We must not forget that. And now we have this son who feels that he's unworthy. And dad is wanting to throw the party because his son was lost and now is found, was dead and now alive. Pastors often leave right there. They end the story right there. But Jesus didn't end the story there. In fact, 
There was the oldest son, brother. We can't forget the older brother. The older brother was the one that did all the right things, right? And in, felt he was entitled to have a party of his own. But dad never threw him one. And so we have an older son who's angry with the father because of the grace that he gave his brother who didn't deserve it, right? And he's angry with the brother because, well, he's the fetus of the family. He gets his way all the time. That was me. I was the fetus of the family. I made my sister and brother angry a lot. Maybe that's why he beat me up a lot. I don't know. But dad was throwing a party that neither son wanted to come to because one was so ticked off and the other felt so unworthy. So the father goes to the oldest son and has a hard conversation, has a raise the bar conversation not a conflict resolution conversation, but a healthy conflict conversation. Son, you've been entitled to all this your whole life. It's been at your disposal. What is mine is yours and yours is mine. It's never been out of your hands. But this son that was lost, this son that was dead, is found and is alive. And we got to celebrate. I want you there. And here's the thing. Jesus leaves the story hanging. He doesn't wrap it up in a nice bow like all of us would like our shows and our dramas. You know, like the 80s episodes, sitcom episodes where they had the conflict all 22 minutes in the last minute and a half they wrapped everything up in really really nice that's the facts of life right no he leaves it hanging he leaves it unresolved in his way Jesus was having a healthy conflict conversation with the tax collectors and sinners and with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because he had a meeting out of their hand out of his hands for a moment and at one point they all agreed yeah that son got what he deserved he should be in a pig pen but flips the script folks we are going to raise the bar in our relationships by how we conflict today's the day we flip the switch and we're going to learn it from Jesus and Peter. Because there was a hard conversation that Jesus had with Peter that I think we often just brush aside. So would you please open your scripture to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Open up your scripture or pull out your phone. <clears throat> John chapter 21. And actually, we're going to read verse 1 all the way through uh, verse 22. It's a little bit long, but that's okay. You'll stay with it. It's a good story. It's a great story. Verse 1. <clears throat> Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, he's going to be our focal point, and Thomas, called Didymus, meaning twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two other disciples, whom we don't know, were together. I'm going to fish, Simon Peter told them. They said, we'll go with you. So they went. They went out, got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Sounds like an Ambrosian fishing trip. We never caught anything. Early in the morning, 
Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, hint, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off. More than likely, he was a bit naked, okay? And jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, following or towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards, a football field. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, This is pretty important. A fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fifth, 153 to be exact, for you accountants out there. But even so, even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Remember, this is the resurrected Jesus eating with the disciples. Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And did it, did the same with the fish. That's another important detail. We'll come back to that. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples and after he was raised from the dead. And you were wondering, where's the hard conversation? Here it is. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. I don't know if Jesus or Peter was hard of hearing But Jesus went for a third time, right? Jesus said, for the third time, said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. He was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted. But when you were old... And you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. In fact, tradition holds it that Peter felt unworthy to be crucified like his Lord and was crucified upside down. Then Jesus said to him, follow me really important detail we'll come back to that Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them that was John this was the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said Lord who's going to betray you when Peter saw him he asked Lord what about him Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Heavenly Father, as we break down this scripture, may it break down our heart. May it speak to us. May it unpack us. And Lord God, may we hear what you have to say. Whether I fumble or bumble or stumble, may you just speak very, very clearly in this moment where we are help us process how we handle conflict in our life and Lord Jesus will you reveal by your spirit what we need to do to raise the bar in our relationships particularly with conflict we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior amen raise the bar this moment is a compilation of all the moments before this moment. Let me unpack that for you just for a second. This moment where Peter and some of the other disciples were on the boat, 
This is very similar to the moment in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus was walking along the shore finding Peter and Andrew, his brother, washing their nets from a night of fishless fishing. It was an unsuccessful night of fishing. And a crowd had gathered around. And Jesus hopped into Peter's boat. He said, push me out a little bit. And started to teach the crowd. And when he was done teaching, and we have no idea what he said in his teaching, he said, cast your net out into deep water. Well, Lord, we haven't caught anything on not, but because you said so, I'm going to do it. And lo and behold, a miraculous catch. So much so that the boat was sinking. Oh, sounds like John 21, but a little bit different. Hmm. Go back to the coal fire just for a second. Peter is the one that jumps out of the boat when he sees that this is the Lord. The last time he jumped out of a boat, he actually walked on water and went to Jesus. This time he jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore to Jesus. And there he sits around a coal fire. And what does Jesus already have in hand? He has fish and he has bread. He already's got breakfast for cooking. Man, I love it. He loves to eat. He will be called a Nazarene. Yes. He already has breakfast ready to go. And the breakfast is very specific. What is it? Fish and bread. And when the rest of the crew come in and sit down, what does Jesus do? He breaks the bread. He gives thanks and breaks the bread and gives them the food. And he breaks the fish and gives them the fish. Jesus is setting up this conversation because this is a pivotal conversation. It's important to have this conversation with Peter. And he's reminding Peter of all these moments. That fish and that bread, it reminds Peter and the rest of the crew of when they were out and there was a large crowd. And they said, hey Jesus, send them away. They need to eat. You feed them. What do we have? Well, there's five loaves and two fish. All right then. Jesus gave thanks, broke the bread, and also did the same with the fish and handed it to the disciples. And what did they do? They went out and they passed it to all the people in groups of 50s and 100s. And they're watching the miracle happen before their eyes. Not only did this happen with the feeding of the 5,000, this happened with the feeding of the 4,000. This happened twice. And they're sitting right with Jesus around a coal fire. And these actions that Jesus does, they remind them of those moments. They're sitting around a coal fire. Not only do they remember this moment, but they remember the moment that Jesus was on their last evening, the last supper, quote-unquote, with his disciples, where all 12 were around the room This is a moment that was set up by Peter and John because they were the ones that were to to make preparations for the moment, but they forgot a detail, and that detail was to wash the feet, and neither Peter nor John stood up and became the servant to wash the feet of the crew. But it was Jesus that got up and took the towel and washed the feet of all his disciples, including the betrayer, Judas, And when Jesus comes to Peter, Peter says, No! Don't wash me! And Jesus looks dead at him and says, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Well then, just do everything. Head to toe. Only your feet are needed to wash. And it leads to that moment where Jesus breaks the bread and he passes the bread to his disciples And he passes the cup as well. And he says, this is my body, broken for you. And this is the blood of the new covenant, my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins of many. Jesus is cleaning the cobwebs of their memory, like I need to have sometimes. Shaking them up a little bit, saying, do you remember this? Do you remember this? Do you remember this? Do you remember this? coal fire 
last time we meet Peter around a fire, he was being called out by a junior high schoolgirl. Aren't you one of his? You're a Galilean? No, you're one of his. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. And lo and behold, he hears the rooster crow. Remembering, hey, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. The last time Peter was around a fire, he was called out and he denied Christ. He had scattered. He had only followed Jesus at a distance now, the same Jesus that he was following really, really closely before that moment. Jesus was setting up this moment. He was reminding Peter of all the moments before now so that Peter remembered. You've got to think about Peter for a second. When he denied Christ... Jesus actually turned and locked eyes with Peter. And Peter left and wept bitterly. Even because Jesus Christ is resurrected doesn't mean Peter doesn't feel guilty, doesn't feel shame, doesn't regret the decisions he made, doesn't forget the offense that he made to Jesus. Jesus in this situation is the offended. He's the one that built into Peter this whole three years. And then Peter cuts the cord and says, I don't even know him. So now Peter around a coal fire. And what do they do? They eat. Where's the conflict? Let's watch it. We learn some things about healthy conflict. We got to take note. One, Jesus, this is when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Now we read the story and we'll just brush right over that statement. But in that statement, we see that Jesus initiates the conversation. Now, Jesus being the offended, initiates the conversation with the offender. Doesn't always have to be the case. The offender can initiate the conversation with the offended. However, we've seen that Peter has played the avoidance card, right? He's ignored it. He knows there's tension. He feels guilt, he feels shame, and he does not want to deal with it. But Jesus initiates the conversation and mind you he initiates the conversation privately this isn't around the coal fire anymore this is Jesus and Peter off on their own having a conversation a hard conversation a raise the bar conversation a conflict conversation well lesson Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, you, whether you are the offended or the offender, whether it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Make every effort. Ephesians 4, 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Folks, again, we often want unity. We, for the sake of unity, we forsake the conversation. Here it says make every effort. That is a healthy conflict conversation. Sometimes we have to have that conversation. Jesus initiates it. Jesus said to Peter, now, Jesus said to Peter, when they had finished, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He repeats this question three times. And I'm not going to go into all the details. This is really Bible nerdy kind of stuff. But every time that Jesus says, do you love me? He says, do you agape me? 
Do you agape me? Do you choose me beyond anything else that you're doing? And in fact, we need to understand that Peter went back to his old way. What was Peter's profession before this moment? Before Jesus called him? He was a fisherman. This is what he did for his living. And now Peter was forsaking his calling. And Jesus says, do you love me? Do you choose me above these? Peter says, "Mm, Jesus, I love you. I phileo you. I have affection for you. I'm warm and fuzzy and I have a brotherly love for you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then he asks again, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you choose me? Do you take your divine calling above and beyond anything else? I'm not talking about the other disciples. I'm talking about you and your life and your choice. Do you love me more than what you used to do? Jesus, I'm warm and fuzzy. I like you. I love you. I have brotherly love for you. Then Jesus says, okay, a third time, I'm going to come to your level just for a moment. Do you brotherly love me? Phileo. That's how we get Philadelphia. Do you brotherly love me? Oh, Jesus was hurt. Why? Let's see. Man, I'm missing all kinds of things. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. Folks, when we initiate healthy conflict, sometimes the healthy conflict is a hard conversation and we have to speak hard love. We speak it in love, but we have to speak it, sometimes it's hard love. And sometimes what we need to speak is going to hurt. Jesus is more concerned about his heart. He's more concerned about the restoration of Peter as a human being, as a man, as a follower knowing the full potential that Peter has and what's going to happen in his future, should he choose. Jesus wants to restore Peter. He wants to remove guilt. He wants to remove shame. And he wants Peter to be whole again. And sometimes it's a hard conversation with hard love. You speak truth in love so that we may all grow up in Christ. And sometimes when we speak truth, it's hard to say and it's hard to hear. Jesus knew it was going to be hard to hear for Peter, but he said it anyways. In the midst of the conversation of, do you love me? Jesus was speaking to Peter in a very loving and compassionate way manner not in a hard aggressive brutal horrific I'm going to put you into shreds Cobra Kai way he was compassionate to Peter Peter was hurt but Jesus needed to restore him when I was a kid sometimes I got my butt beat Yes, that was a thing back in the 80s. We will mourn its death later. But I got my butt beat. And it hurt. And I had the hard conversation of why I got my butt beat. It's hard to hear, hard to receive. But I learned it. That came out of love, not anger. There was not once my mom or dad had to apologize for what they did because that came out of love for me to protect me and help me grow up and become productive in society and healthy with other people. Jesus had a hard conversation with Peter and he knew it was going to hurt emotionally for Peter. However, it was about restoring Peter, right? Many of you are probably wondering, there is no talk about forgiveness in this conversation. Jesus does not say, Peter, I forgive you for denying me and saying you never knew me. 
We need to go back to the cross for that. Jesus is hanging on the cross in the very first few hours that he was on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We often relate that to the Roman centurions who were driving the nails into his feet or to the chief priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees who were mocking and appreciating the death of Christ. But Jesus is also thinking of those that he loved that when he was struck as the shepherd that the sheep had scattered, and that would include Peter. Jesus had already forgiven him for the offense. Why three times? It's a complete, it's a completion, it's a perfection, so to speak. It's a wholeness. Peter denied Christ three times, and his memory was jarred. Coal fire, miraculous catch, feeding of the 5,000, last supper, walking on water, and his denial. Jesus was reminding Peter, you denied me three times. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. See, Jesus was asking the questions to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? All the while, Jesus is loving Peter. That's healthy conflict. It's loving the individual that you are in conflict with because the individual bears the same image of God that you do. Our enemy is not people. Your enemy is not people. It's never been people, and we have confused that with ideology, philosophy, and, and politics. Your enemy is not people. People bear the same image that you do. And you bear the same image they do. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is loving Peter. Who at one point, Peter opposed Jesus. He built into Peter for three years. Trusted Peter for three years. And Peter sliced it and cut it. This is about the restoration. The wholeness of Peter. As a man. As a human being. Peter is really good at avoidance, but he's really good at deflection too. We're professionals and artists in deflection, aren't we? I deflect with humor. I've learned that about myself. Sarcasm. Where did I learn that? Thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. Peter notices there's somebody following them. It's John, the one who wrote the book of John. And Peter noticed that and said, Hey, Jesus, what about him? Healthy conflict needs to stay on the conflict. Jesus says, Hey, listen, if I want him to stay alive until I return, what is it to you? This is about you and me, Peter. No one else. You and me. We clear? You and me. So follow me. The last time of the miraculous catch, what happened? Peter fell at his knees and said, Lord, go away from me, for I am a sinner. Jesus says, no, 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 get up, follow me. I'm not going to be distant from you. You need to be close to me. And Jesus says, follow me. It's reminding Peter of his true calling and who he was created to be. He's created to be whole and in the image of God and have that image restored in him. So our lessons... What do we learn about healthy conflict? One, whether you are the offender or the offended, 
Initiate the conflict. Initiate the conversation. Don't do it publicly. Do it privately. Speak truth in love. Speak it with compassion. Because the other person's probably just as hurt as you are. Or the other person doesn't even realize they offended you in the first place because they don't have the mind-reading gift that I've always wanted. They may not even know that you've, they've been offended or you, they offended you. Speak truth in love and listen. Jesus listened to the words of Peter. Do you agape me? I phileo you. Do you agape me? I phileo you. Another deflection tactic wonderfully proposed by Peter. Jesus listened. Speak truth in love and be quick to listen and slow to speak. The best evangelical tool that you could possibly have. If you want to know how to Witness 101, Evangelize 101, Outreach 101. Ask questions and listen. Ask questions and listen. You don't need to let them know you know it all. You just let them talk so that they know they're heard and they know they're loved. Just listen. Speak truth in love, even if it's hard love, and listen. Quick to listen and slow to speak. And seek to restore. Not necessarily the relationship, right? Restore the human being. And restore yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself you need restored in conflict as well. The relationship may not necessarily be restored, but the human beings in the conflict can be. That's our goal in healthy conflict. So, speaking truth and love, we will in all things grow up into Him. Today, we have been challenged to flip the switch to raise the bar to up our game to have the conversation with those that have been offended and with those who have offended hurt, frustrated wronged toes stepped on it's not junior high anymore don't do it through other people have the conversation. Have the conversation because you never know. Healing may come out of that in you and in them. Would you please stand today? Man, this Raise the Bar series has been every Sunday a hard conversation. I really hope you don't feel like you've been beat up, but we've got to be challenged. We've got to be pushed. Do you mind just bowing your heads just for a brief moment? I'd like for you to think through the people in your life that you love, that love you. The people in your life that you're acquainted with, coworkers, neighbors, friends, family, whomever they may be. Is there one, two, or more in your life that there's some conflict with today? It's been there for a while. And that yet, maybe, maybe, just maybe you need to initiate the conversation never had the conversation, just need to initiate it. Is there someone who 
you feel like you've offended. That maybe you need to have that conversation and seek forgiveness. Just lay it out there. If any of those apply to you today, if any of this conversation today applies to you, will you just raise your hand and shoot it up high? Please. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we move in their life. Lord, help us be bold and help them be bold to step in and have those conversations. Give them wisdom to navigate the words to say, when to say them, and when to be quiet and listen. Lord, help them speak truth and love and help us all as a body of Christ to move in the direction of healthy conflict. Father, I firmly believe that we are a unified church. I've seen it. I've seen it come together. It's been amazing. Lord, may we not, for the sake of peace, not have a healthy conflict and settle for false peace. I don't want that in my life. I don't want that in this body. You don't want that in this body. You want us to have true, pure, honest, genuine peace amongst each other and ourselves. Lord, bring healing. May our people be people that initiate that conversation and are bold to speak truth, but truth in love, to have the hard conversation. And may it bring a deeper unity, a deeper peace. And may it restore human beings to the dignity and the image of the image of Jesus Christ, of the Creator, our God, that you've fingerprinted all over us. Lord, we love you, we trust you, and we praise you. And it's in your name that we ask these things today. Amen. Folks, I love you. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Will you please love your neighbor as yourself? Have a wonderful day. Starting point will start here in a few minutes. Thank you for listening to the Wapaknaz podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.